Uh, we're going to be looking in 1 John chapter 3 tonight, 1 John chapter 3, and a message I call Little Children Need to Know About True Love. We've been talking about the little children statements that John has in 1 John, several things uh, that the Bible particularly articulates as things that God's children of whatever age need to know. True love. True love. 1 John 3.18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Little children then need to know about true love. We can easily understand the implications of loving in word. Uh, those are the words that we speak. They're easy to say. I love you. Love you. Easy to say. Those are the simple words that we speak. But he also says not only in word, but also in tongue. Now, the tongue is considered as the source of words in Scripture. Uh, much like the heart uh, is the subject of our, or the place where decisions are made, the will is made, uh, the stomach or the bowels, by the way, the place where emotions are felt, bowels of compassion. Now we have the tongue. Obviously, the tongue is an organ of the human body that's made up of muscle and blood and nerves. Incredible amount of nerves in the tongue. But the Bible gives it almost a life of its own. And Psalm 139 and verse 4, For there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Words in my tongue. James chapter 3 and verse 5, a famous passage of scripture about the tongue. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and had been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison, I wish James would be a little bit more plain with us about what he means. How do y'all? <laughs> oh, James was really solid on what he said. Now, we know that all of the things that we've talked about, whether it's the will, decisions, uh, or choices, uh, the things that we think, all of that comes from the brain. Our feelings come from the brain, and obviously our vocabulary is in the brain. We know that. Um, but there's also a, a connotation of the Spirit in all these things. Occasionally we need to remind ourselves that there's more to the human body than just blood and bone and sinew and blood and cells. There's more to it than that because there's a Spirit. And so there's something in the tongue. Our words obviously are in the tongue. 
And basically what uh, John is calling us to think about is not only the words that we say, but also the thoughts that are behind them. Every word begins as a thought. We know that. What we think about. And uh, out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaketh. So also what decisions we make, what we contemplate deeply in our hearts is going to come out of our mouth. Um, so we're not only talking about then the words, I love you, but the thought, I love this person. The words and the tongue, both of which are used by John in this passage to remind us that it's the words, the mental process then that fuels them. Is not just where our love is to reside. True love is more than what we think. It's more than what we feel. It's more than what we say. True love is what we do. And how we behave. We've all unfortunately seen the sad reality that occurs when someone says they love somebody. But yet their actions, their practices are completely different than that. You know, you've seen that abusive husband who all the while he's telling his wife that he loves her. Maybe he's slapping her and hitting her. I I love you. Those two things aren't going together. It's not just to see what we say or even what we think about or even what we say we feel. It's how we behave. It's what we do. And so John then calls us to know about true love. And certainly God's little children need to know this because our world is awash with statements about love. And um, they're certainly used and misused. People are searching for love. They long for love. Someone to love and someone to love them back. So it's important that we know then what true love is. And he says then let us love not only in deed, but he says also in truth. So our love is not just in word or in tongue. Uh, That is the words that we say and the thoughts that are behind them, what we think about, the feelings that we express with our words. But also our deeds, our actions, and in truth. You see, love doesn't keep us from dealing with the truth. Uh, Love sees the truth. Uh, There might be a time in a human relationship where love might keep somebody from seeing the truth. I I know that happens occasionally. Uh, You know, you just uh, uh, hear somebody uh, talk about their boyfriend, their latest boyfriend, and how beautiful, wonderful he is, how good looking he is, and then you see him. We don't say love is blind for nothing. Amen? Okay. There there are times, I'll admit it, when love may keep us from dealing with the truth or speaking the truth. But for the most part, we know that love and truth go together. It's a true act of love when a person can tell you the truth and deal with the truth. Deal with the truth of who you really are. The guards down... No presumptiveness, no, no putting on, no act. 
It's dealing with us like we are. It's the truth. And as love then is dealing with the truth, as John puts it here, and speaking the truth, because we can speak the truth in love. And so John is, is laying out a great objective for us here tonight. We're not just going to talk about what we say or what we think that prompts us to say something. We're, we're going to talk about what we do and what is really true. We're going to love not just in word or in tongue, but in, in deed and in truth. And it shouldn't surprise us then that John is going to give us a discussion of the things that uh, happen when love isn't real. Uh, what we're going to call uh, a fake or unreal kind of love. What it looks like in those who profess it but don't possess it. And then the opposite. Uh, those who actually and in truth possess True love. And that's what we have in our text tonight. And so we'll begin with the first, the professors. It's in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11. Those who claim it, those who profess a kind of love, but it's not real. Uh, this is the message then that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain. <laughs> what a great statement that is. We don't need to love our brothers like Cain loved his. That's pretty obvious. This is a message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Now, as we go on in this passage, we're going to see that John mentions three different kinds of professors. Those who are claiming a love, professing a love, but the love is not real. And he starts with the very worst kind of all. And it goes kind of up from there, but they're all bad. But it starts with the worst. Not like Cain. Cain who probably claimed to love his brother. His brother, his own brother, Abel. And yet he murdered him. And so the worst kind of those who claim to love but they don't are the murderers. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. One was a murderer and one was a missionary or a martyr who died for his faith. The first murder that ever happened in this universe happened over religion. Uh, Cain offered an offering that was rejected by God because sin lied at the was lying at the door. All the while, a sin offering was available to him, and he wouldn't take it. And there was Abel, Abel whose offering was accepted. And because of that, he was murdered. But it was more than that. He was murdered because his brother's works were evil. And the righteous works of Abel then exposed the fact that Cain was evil. If there was more to it than that, John tells us, because John tells us that Cain was under the sway of the wicked one. Now the wicked one had been sliming, slithering around in the garden before it had. And here we find out he's still around. And you know what? He's still around today. And here was a man. What was he doing? He claimed to love, but he was committing murder. And why? Because, first of all, because his deeds were exposed as evil. But then secondly... He was of the wicked one. That is, the devil had him 
right here in his hand. He was of the wicked one. He was under the control of the wicked one. I say to you tonight that there are a lot of murderers in our country and around the world right now who are being led down their path of murder by the devil himself. He's operating fully operational in their life. How can people kill with such impunity? And we see stories about it every single day and more and more and more all the time. You read them. You see them. They show up in your news feed just like they show up in mine. How do you walk up to police officers and, 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 and just kill them? How, how, does, how does a man kill his wife and his children? And then how do, how do they do this? How do people who claim to be doctors murder babies? Day after day after day, never flinch. How do they sleep? Well, all the doctors of death, whether Kevorkian or whatever name, they all are operating under the same power. All the while, they might claim to be compassionate. They might claim to be caring. They might claim to be loving somebody. But the fact is, uh, this kind of love is the kind of thing that kills. It's not real. It's not true. No matter what they might say. This is the first kind of fake love that ends up as murder. I really don't want to say this, but I've got to because it's the truth. There are multitudes of murders committed around this world every year by people who claim to love God. They do it while crying out their allegiance to God or to some God. And I just want to say it for your benefit tonight and for the benefit of those who watch there is no one who commits a murder in our world who does it in name of the true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's not, it's not the love of God or the love of Jesus Christ that's going to call you, cause you to go out and commit indiscriminate acts of violence. And that's not God. That's not the God of Scripture. So John tells us right up front, there's a kind of love, but, and people claim a kind of love, like Cain had love for his brother. He claimed a kind of love, but it's a murdering kind of love that is infested with the demonic. The devil himself is in control of it. And it's evil and it's awful. There's a second kind of professors. Uh, not quite as bad as the murderers, but right there with them, and we'll see that very quickly. They're the haters. First John chapter 3 and verse 13. Kind of a paradox, isn't it? He's talking to us about loving and truth. But then he tells us how love can go wrong. And that is the haters. Not marvel not, my brethren, that the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. There's a couple of applications or manifestations of this uh, hate kind of thing that John talks about in this passage. There are the haters who hate the people of God. 
Now, they, may, they claim to, to love, they claim to love freedom, maybe. They claim to love liberty. They, they claim to love this or love that, whatever it might be. But no matter how they're professing themselves to be a people who are motivated in love and pointing the finger at God's people and God's truth and calling us haters, the fact is they hate Jesus Christ, they hate God, they hate the Bible, they hate biblical truth. And that's not a strange to us. After all, they hated Jesus. Hard to imagine, but they did. And though they talk about love a lot, it is hate that is in their hearts. And John goes on quickly to tell us that this kind of hate is actually murder itself. You know, Jesus taught us that. That if you uh, are hating your brother, God writes that down in his book as murder. You might not have committed a murder yet. But that's what God calls it. Now, it has been erroneously said, and I might have even said it myself one time or another when I was young and stupid. Well, you know, it's just as bad to, uh, to think it as it is to do it. If you're going to think it, you might as well go ahead and do it. That, that, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. And that's not what Jesus is saying when he tells us that hatred, God sees our hatred and he writes it down as murder. Uh, We can have hatred in our heart without actually following that up by killing somebody. And if we haven't, then obviously if we go through that, we have compounded it and made it a lot worse. He did the same thing with lust and adultery. He said, whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in his heart. But we can't say, well, you know, I thought about it, so I might as well go ahead. No, uh -uh. Mm -mm. we know better than that. But it does mean that when we have hatred in our heart, God sees that as that very serious. Because what are we doing? We are contemplating this act of violence against somebody else. We'd rejoice if they fell. The streets of America tonight are filled with hatred. You know how I know that? Because they're running red with blood. Murdered blood. The world hates believers in Christ, but that hatred is intrinsic. We don't hate sinners. They think we do. We don't. We love them. We know Christ died for them. We want to see them saved. This is a problem that counselors call projection. They're projecting their own feelings on us. They're the ones whose heart is full of hate, so they think we are hating them. No, no. They don't see. There's a whole other way of looking at things. So John then talks about the murderers. That's one way that love goes wrong. No matter how much they might claim to love or how much they talk about love or how much they talk about their love for God or love for anything, their acts of violence and murder are telling you something different. And there are those who talk a lot about love, but their life is full of hate. And because of their hatred, we know that their heart is not full of love no matter how much They might act like they do. And the third type that John mentions then are the indifferent. Verse 16, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? God himself is the example of the one who loved and the one who gave. 
But John speaks of these professors of love as a people who see a need in their brother's life, but they pass it by. Uh, They're not a murderer. They're not a hater. But they see their brother, and they're indifferent. Remember the Levite and the priests who passed by the man who had fallen among thieves on the road to Jericho, and the good Samaritan came by and helped him. But think of those who passed him by. Is he alive? Is he dead? I don't care. It's nothing to me. Not a murderer, not a hater. Just indifferent. And so John uh, wades into this very plainly then with this text tonight about what we're saying. He wants us to, to love not in, uh, just in tongue, not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And the way that that goes wrong is when a person is claiming to love, but they're a murderer. They're committing acts of violence. When they claim to love, but they hate. When they claim to love, but they're indifferent. That's not true love. So, if those are the professors who claim it but don't have it, then let's look at the possessors. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. John mentions three things in this passage. First of all, that love does for us when it's in our hearts. And how we can recognize that true love is there. And the first thing that love does in the heart of God's children, and make no mistake about it, he particularly identifies that these are God's little children. These are the ones who are the beneficiaries of the love of God, and therefore the benefactors of the love of God. We have it, so we can show it. It's real in us. It's really there. Our hearts are full of, we're the possessors of the love of God. And the first thing then he tells us is that true love in our hearts brings assurance. Verse 19, it will assure our hearts before him. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. How? By, By showing love. He talks about how that our heart can condemn us. When our heart condemns us, that's the action of the conscience. We're convicted then. And true believers can fail to deal with issues in our life that might arise between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we do, our heart condemns us. You see, when we don't deal with things, when somebody bothers, has done something that bothers us, or somebody does something that offends us, we don't deal with it. We allow it to sit there and fester in our heart and life for a while. You know what it does? It turns into bitterness. We think, uh, well, you know, I'm not going to forgive that person. Okay, I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm going to hold it against them forever. (laughs) 
<laughs> until Jesus comes back. We'll settle it in heaven maybe, but I'm going to show them. Oh, no. That unforgiving spirit, you see, turns into bitterness in our hearts. So that we've got those feelings that are there that shouldn't be there. And we're holding on to them. And, and we nourish it and nurture it. We even talk about it. We're nurturing a grudge. We know how to do it. We're feeding that thing. Bitterness is a spiritual acid. And you know what it works on? You know, different kinds of acid works on different things. Uh, there's, for example, you look at gold. There was one of the tests that they called an acid test because acid doesn't do anything to gold. Put it on there, what's it do? Nothing. Nothing. But this is a particular kind of acid in our life, this bitterness. It's a spiritual acid. You know what it eats? It eats our assurance. It eats our assurance. You see, when true believers fail to deal correctly with their brothers and sisters, our heart condemns us. We're convicted about it. It becomes bitterness. It becomes malice. It becomes unforgiveness and jealousy. And any one of a hundred ways that we can hold and harbor these things in us. If your heart gets to feeling empty. You're feeling like your connection with God is just not there. Something's missing. Something's wrong. Check your bitterness. Now, if we're truly saved, God knows it, and God is greater than our hearts. God convicts us, though, to get things right, and when we do, our confidence returns. Love in our hearts, then, brings assurance. Assurance. The opposite is true. That bitterness, those bad feelings, things that we don't deal with properly. But when we have love in our hearts and, and there's nothing between me and the Lord and there's nothing between me and my brothers, then that confidence, that assurance and just flourishes, flourishes. In fact, John tells us that if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, that's going to manifest itself by your love for your brothers. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. And so when we let our love for the brethren be uh, adversely affected because we have not practiced forgiveness, because we've not treated one another the way that God intends for us to do, then all of that assurance just goes away. If our heart's not condemning us, we're not under conviction for that, then there's a heart full of assurance that comes from loving God and loving one another. But he also not only talks about assurance, but he talks about confidence. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. So that when our heart is full of love to God and we're not under conviction, we're not uh, being hurt by not treating our brothers and sisters in Christ the way we should, then one of the products of that is boldness. Boldness in the faith, confidence, and power in our prayers. Uh, so remind ourselves tonight that uh, if we don't have love for one another, then we really don't have anything to share with the world. If, why would we invite somebody else to come if we don't even like being here? Why would we invite somebody else to believe on Jesus Christ if our heart 
is not right with one another. I mean, we've got to have that love in our own hearts. And that is what gives fuel to our witness. And without it, the words of sharing the gospel choke in our throats. We choke on them when we don't love one another. But John immediately goes from that boldness and confidence to another area where it shows up, and that is in our prayer life. Simon Peter talked about this in an interesting way as he brought up the closest of all human relationships, and that is the one flesh relationship of husband and wife. Remember what Simon Peter said, 1 Peter 3 and 6? That Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them, that is, your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, that is, being heirs together. Did you notice that word? Heirs together. Of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. In this closest of all relationships, if we let things get out of kelter, and uh, we're all mad at each other, husband and wife, not getting along, go in there and get on your knees while you're mad at your wife or mad at your husband and see how far you get with God. You ever tried that? I have to say, I've tried it a time or two. Don't work. Don't work. Because you know what God's going to tell you? Get in there and make it right. Make it right. I want to tell you, a whole lot of divorces among God's people could be saved if we'd just start praying. Because when we start praying, and especially if we start praying together, we just... You can't stay mad and pray at the same time. God will just wear you out. How can you be in here asking me to do all this for you? How can we ask for God to do something for me without asking Him to do it for my wife? How can you ask something, ladies, to do God to do something for you without asking Him to do it for your husband? Simon Peter says, get away from all that stuff. Wives are to submit to their husbands. That's all over the New Testament. Husbands are to love their wives as themselves and give honor to hers under the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. And that's one relationship. And very obviously a relationship that if we don't let that, if we don't work that the way it's intended to work, then we're not going to have a lot of boldness in our prayer life. This is what comes. This is when our hearts are full of love and we love one another the way God intends. We're loving God the way He intends. We're not allowing bitterness and anger and wrath and evil speaking and malice and all those other terrible works of the flesh. We're not letting them in our hearts. Instead, we're loving one another. Love our brothers. And it brings great confidence, great boldness in our witness and in our prayers. And the last thing that John talks about then that love in our heart brings to us, if love uh, brings that uh, assurance, and it does, love brings confidence, boldness, and it does, then love brings a close association. 
1 John chapter 3 and verse 23. And this is His commandment, that you should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And he that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He has given in us. John is going to go through this circular discussion over and over again in his first epistle. He'll, he'll tell us to, to love God, love one another, keep His commandments. And what is His commandments? Love God, love one another. Love God, love one another, keep His commandments. What are the commandments? Love God, love one another. He just goes back and forth, around and around that circle, again and again and again. Love God, keep His commandments. What are His commandments? Love God, love one another. Over and over again. And he talks about the benefits that come to us from that. But here is one right here in this passage. You see, it's great to have assurance and to know you're going to heaven. You got assurance tonight, say amen. amen. I know, I, I've got assurance in my heart. I know I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. That's a great thing. Are you enjoying the trip? It's great to know you're going to go to heaven, but are you enjoying the trip? The way we enjoy the trip is when we have fellowship with God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we have that? By keeping His commandments, doing what He tells us to do. It's not like He gave us a list of ten hundred million things to do. He told us to love Him and to love one another. So as He gave us commandment, we believed on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. We love one another. And when you do that, He says, you're going to know that you dwell in Him and He in Him. That man that does that, yeah, you know. You're dwelling with God. And God is in you. Do you have that assurance tonight? Do you have the kind of relationship with God that... uh, you feel like you can say, well, Lord, I'm headed to the house. <laughs> Why don't you come on? I mean, we don't have to say that. We know He's with us all the time. But you, you know that kind of feeling? Well, we're at home with God. And God's at home with us. That's why I love the story of the Old Testament character of Enoch. You know, Enoch walked with God. And he was not. The Bible says, because the Lord took him. One of my seminary professors years ago had a statement about that. He said, Enoch walked with God. And one day they walked and they walked and they walked. It's getting down to sundown and the Lord said, Enoch, we're a lot closer to my house than we are yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? And he did. I say, oh, poor old Enoch, he died. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He was not, for the Lord took him. Went to heaven without dying. What a testimony that Enoch had of his walk with the Lord. Now, I don't expect to go to heaven without dying unless I go out in the shout with the rapture. And if we do, we'll all go together. Won't that be great? And I I pray more and more that that will indeed happen for us all. One of the great hopes, the blessed hope of every believer in Christ is that we go out with a shout. We go home in the rapture. But short of that, oh, there's another objective. 
And that is when it's time for the Lord to say, come on home. That, you know, we'll just kind of be like Enoch. <laughs> well, I've already been walking with God. Now I'm walking with God. God's already been at home in my life, and now I'm going home with Him. That's okay. I know that God dwells in me, and I know that I dwell in God. We're at home together. We're, we have fellowship one with another. That's the kind of assurance that there is. When we walk with the Lord, we obey His commandments. When we have a heart full of love, we love God, we love His people. Then we have that close fellowship with the Lord. All of you old folks have heard preachers tell this story a hundred thousand times probably. Or a hundred times. But the, a lot of the young folks may not have heard it. It's about the old couple. They've been married for years and years. They're riding in that old one-seater pickup truck. And the wife says to the husband, Honey, you know, I remember when we used to sit close together right beside each other. An old man over there driving. He said, I ain't moved. <laughs> All you old folks remember that story. Now you young ones have got a new one to tell. I ain't moved. If we're not feeling that close fellowship with God tonight, who has moved? God hadn't. God hadn't. And most likely what's happened is we let some stuff get in our heart that's crowded that love for God out and our love for one another. And that acid has eaten up on our assurance. It's eaten up on our confidence. And it's eating up on our fellowship. God. Don't let it. Don't let it. We need to know what true love isn't. True love is not murdering, not committing acts of violence. True love is not hatred. Mm -mm. It's not that. True love is not just something that's in word, but it's in truth. It's not somebody that's just indifferent to anything and everybody knows. That's not it. True love gives assurance. True love gives confidence and boldness. True love. True love gets close fellowship with the Lord. Let's stand together, please.